DiscerningHearts.com presents Inside the Pages, insights from today's most compelling authors. I'm your host, Chris McGregor, and I am delighted to be joined by Kimberly Hahn, who's the author of numerous books, including Chosen and Cherished, A Biblical Wisdom for Your Marriage, Graced and Gifted, Biblical Wisdom for the Homemaker's Heart, Life-Giving Love, Embracing God's Beautiful Design for Marriage, and she's co-author with her husband, Scott Hahn, of Rome Sweet Home. She is a mother and grandmother and is a frequent conference speaker on topics related to marriage and family life. With Kimberly Hahn, we go inside the pages of Beloved and Blessed, Biblical Wisdom for Family Life, published by Servant Books. When we look at Beloved and Blessed, it is a book that is, it's all about relationship, isn't it? It really is. It really is. And there are lots of practical tasks involved in that, but the focus is really on the relationship, our relationship with God, not just, okay, I check off my list, I went to Mass, I said the rosary. It's it's that relationship with the Lord, first and foremost, and then our relationship with our spouse and the relationship with the children, not just shuttling through the next car and the next, uh, you know, load of laundry or whatever. And um, there's an intimacy God wants. He desires intimacy with us. And then that spills over into genuine intimacy with our spouse and not just, um, again, sort of performing perfunctory tasks, but really an authentic intimacy person to person. And when we call about self-giving love, it is instead of self-taking, something that satisfies me, that's when you bring up chastity as that model, it is something that occurs before marriage, but also within marriage, doesn't it? It does. It does. That's a real commitment um, to that other person that it, I, I will give myself to you and to you only and to you only. There was one story that you shared within that particular chapter of the book in which you had been watching television one night and saw Jay Leno and that jaywalking segment. Mm-hmm. Well, he was, uh, he was interviewing uh, people out on the sidewalk, you know, just a, a typical jaywalking segment. Um, and his question to women was, do you go to bars to, to be picked up? And... Uh, he asked this one particular woman, and uh, her response was, every weekend. Mm-hmm. And he was surprised. I mean, I, I, I don't know what he expected the woman mm-hmm. to say, but anyway, he kind of he said, every weekend? Do, do you even know their names? And she said, that would be much too personal. Mm. And I just, I mean, it, it just caught my heart because I thought, this is someone's little girl. And she has reduced sex down to a physical act where she doesn't even, it it would be too personal to know the person's name, but not too personal to give herself in the intimate act of sexual intercourse. And I, I just felt grief for her. And I thought, sweetheart, you don't even know what sex is about. Mm-hmm. I'm sure she would look at me as a woman in my 50s and, and you know, having been married more than 30 years and say, you're the one that's clueless, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't know all the different techniques and whatever. 
and I, what I wish I could say to her is, it is so much richer and more beautiful when you have a committed relationship in the covenant of marriage that is lifelong. I am not going to walk out on Scott. He is not going to walk out on me. The freedom you have to genuinely give yourself as your body changes over time, as your body changes through having babies, and just know our intimacy will be richer as my father says, because I know your mother that much better. What a different concept. And it's, and it's important because this is the kind of truth that brings freedom, uh, true freedom. And we, we've just got to get it out there. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I think it's committing to the commitment, isn't it? In so Very many- much so. I mean, as long as you're looking at the other person and looking at a door, you can walk out. Mm-hmm. You have a different approach to marriage than if you say, we're in this together for good. You point out that there are, in Chapter 2, the challenges to intimacy. I mean, you you sum it up. I mean, whether they're challenges uh, spiritually, physically, psychologically, the number of different things that can get in our way, and you take it point by point. That's what's so great about this particular series, because you are so practical, but yet you go right into the heart. Yeah, you know, I couldn't find books that were addressing this from a Catholic perspective. And on the one hand, I'm around a lot of people who really do believe the Church's teaching mm-hmm. on, on marital intimacy and openness to life in the Church. And and maybe our, our locale is unique, um, or maybe growing numbers of people really are taking the Church more seriously on this. And I, and I, hope, I, hope, it's, I hope it's both, but I hope it's the latter uh, as well. But... So often we don't address that the purpose of um, intimacy within marriage is not simply reduced down to baby making, mm-hmm. but it is growing in love, growing in intimacy, and it is both unity and procreation. And when people have difficulties um, in love making in marriage, how do I how do I even approach that? How do I share that with anybody? Because I'm supposed to have this all together. And there can be practical problems. You know, there can be spiritual problems. There can be um, difficulties that in your relationship that um, it affects intimacy because you haven't properly resolved conflicts or you haven't um, maybe dealt with and had healing from relationships before you got married. And, and so I, I wanted, I mean, I know it's not comprehensive, but I wanted to begin to address that and to say, this is what is challenging about uh, sexual intimacy in marriage. Um, I overheard, excuse me, my son overheard at a wedding a couple say about the couple getting married, and I don't think it was actually a comment on the couple, but just on their general approach to marriage, but they just said, well, there goes their sex life, as if they would have an active, exciting, vibrant sex life before they got married, but once they got married, it all becomes dull. And I don't believe that. I don't think that's a necessity, but I think it's very different when you are, when, when sexual intimacy is not the be all and end all of your day together. It is a part of your day together and it has to fit into overall life. And yes, there are challenges when you've just had a baby and you're, you're hardly sleeping at night and your physical uh, touch and closeness is not your primary love language and you've been touched all day long by little ones, mm-hmm. you know, 
there are things to work through, but that's what makes it so rich in marriage because, again, you're getting to know that person and that person is getting to know you better and you're actually caring about a variety of needs in each other's lives, not just sexual intimacy. Um, And so there's a richness you can't get to apart from the sacrament of marriage. It's all about communication, which has that that term communion in it. I mean, it's the communicating, it's communication, it's sharing with one another and being open to one another, isn't it? Yes. And saying if there are challenges, you know, you've got to communicate that if all of a sudden you're not sure if you feel right about um, having sexual pleasure and, and talking that through together or if there's physical pain and saying, I've, I'm really struggling with physical pain. I need to see a doctor or I, you know, I mean, sometimes it's a matter of prayer. Sometimes it doesn't need another novena. It actually needs a prescription. Mm-hmm. And, um, and to be, to be able to talk about that with each other and help each other through that. Yeah. And also grabbing those moments when you can. I'm, I had a smile when I read the section on couch time and how you said that if you can get, grab at least 15 minutes to sit together on the couch and talk, I'm finding that Bruce and I, couch time is a big time for us now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's a great sharing time. The 15 minutes have taken on a longer aspect, but, but we've changed. And oh. so you have to adjust. You have to learn to grow with one another and, yes. to, and to allow each other those changes. Yes. And to trust that God has a plan through all of that, you mm-hmm. know, um, that God himself desires you to have a rich and fulfilling marriage, which includes your intimacy. I think that's very much part of his plan. I, I don't rule the world, but boy, if I could. It, this, is, this particular chapter I would make mandatory for all couples in marriage prep. Actually, in every marriage, we should all start right now. And at least take the point by points. I mean, they're not too long, but under each of these, because I think they open up the opportunity for people to begin to dialogue with one another. Yes. One of the things in the psychological challenges that I thought was very important was the the section on false guilt and the role of shame and how we've we've lost a sense of... Uh, physical, we've kind of evolved as a culture anyway, into physical shamelessness and emotional shamelessness. And that has long ranging effects, doesn't it? It does. It does. And and Pope John Paul II has some interesting comments about a sense of shame and that intimacy outside of marriage or when you're married with someone to whom you're not married is actually a gift of God. Mm-hmm. It, it's It's that warning sign. It's that saying, this is not where I'm supposed to go. And then within marriage, the freedom to be able to enjoy each other physically and know this is not to be an expression. Uh, I'm not to have a sense of shame over uh, being intimate with my spouse. Mm-hmm. Also, I think one of the big gorillas that's in the room are fears. Right, right. And that may involve, you know, that may involve counseling. It may involve meeting with other couples who are in a similar circumstance. It may involve meeting with the priest and really having him pray over you as a couple so that, so that fear is not what dominates. But you also have to be able to acknowledge 
what your real concerns are. And, of course, there's a difference between concern and anxiety. It's always important for us to recognize as parents and as spouses. Um, you know, concerns are going to come to our hearts and minds, and there is nothing wrong with us knowing we need prayer and that something is, you know, way beyond our ability to just deal with on our own. Anxiety is sin. Mm-hmm. And if we allow anxiety to grip us, it will rob us of of what God wants to release through faith. And I remember one time, just as a practical application, um, I had had two miscarriages after I had had Hannah, and I was pregnant with Jeremiah, and I was so gripped with anxiety, mm-hmm. and I just couldn't shake it. I mean, I would pray, and it was just... It just really was not enough um, just to simply pray about it. I'd go to Mass, and it just seemed like I didn't know the word peace was used so much (laughs) in a typical Mass. And I felt like it was flying over me and around me and under me and missing me. And I would just leave. I mean, every time I went to the bathroom, I'm checking for blood, and I'm just, Mm -hmm. I, I just, you know, I'd feel horrible nausea. And then the moment it would let up, I'd be like, oh, God, oh, God, what's wrong? You know, I should feel really terrible. And then I'd feel horrible, and I'd be like, oh, I feel so miserable. So anyway, I just, I talked to a priest who happened to stop by our home, and I said, I just know I'm not in the right place, but I don't understand, I just don't even understand how to get out of this. And he was so gentle, Chris. He was so kind and loving and a true spiritual father. And he just gently said, you are committing the sin of anxiety. Mm-hmm. And he said, you, you really need to confess it. You need to confess it. It's understandable. You've had two back-to-back miscarriages. Of course, you have concern and fear that you're going to lose this little baby. But you need to entrust this child to God, to his plan, and... And you need to repent of being anxious. And he just led me very gently right into confession, and I confessed it. And I wouldn't say it was total. It was profound, the the sense of peace that came. And when it would begin to come up again, I would just I would just say, you know, Lord, give me the grace right now to stop the anxiety. I give you the concern. I want to raise this child. Please, Lord Jesus, let me raise this child. You know, and I, but I would turn it into prayer rather than starting a litany of everything that could go wrong. And um, and it, it, it and we did have the opportunity to birth Jeremiah and you know bring him into the world, and he's a wonderful son. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't mean that if you give up your anxiety, you will be guaranteed not to miscarry. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing I needed to deal with was that my concern, which was real and genuine and valid could not go into anxiety because then I'm participating in sin. Yeah, I think, what was it, the three words that Jesus said most in the gospel wasn't love your neighbor, but it was be not afraid because it's difficult to love if you're fearful. Yes, and especially as we get into parenting, you know, and and later in the book um, when we talk about um, being open to life and then bringing this child into the world, there is a lot that is beyond you. And and I, I think what I love about parenting is it just drives you to your knees because there is no way, even when that little baby is so tiny, there is no way that you will be able to control everything about that individual. Mm-hmm. There's just no way. But the whole goal of parenting is not hyper-control of an individual. It is to 
by the grace of God, love and nurture this little person and just see that person develop and unfold. And, uh, and so I think so many people hang back from even being open to parenting because they're so afraid. Uh, they're afraid of repeating the mistakes of their parents or they're afraid of the culture. You know, how can you bring a child into this world? And, um, if we keep our eyes on the Lord and just keep, keep on our knees, you know, He will, He'll give us what we need for those particular children. You talk about the family as the sanctuary of life. I love that. I love that, that, that it's a, <laughs> this, the sanctuary, I mean, a, a holy place. And it's the mission to be responsible parents, to the mission of responsible parenthood. And you remind us once again that our fertility, especially for, for women, but also for men, because it's a part of that, we bring that into the relationship, yeah. it is a gift. And yet the culture has us assault that gift. I mean, even to the point where we take drugs to diminish it or alter it. Fertility is fragile. Mm-hmm. And it is. It's a gift. It's a gift. It's not something that... You know, we need to ward off like we do an illness. And yet I think there are a lot of people who approach fertility like it's an illness, a disease. And you need to, you know, take pills and do things to to keep a child from coming. And, um, and I, I think the Catholic perspective is just so beautiful and so different. And that's why... I'd- for many, when we talk about natural family planning, you know, they'll rail from that because they'll think, oh, it's too complicated or it's maybe just not as easy as popping a pill. But they're understanding it as a gift. It is something that you share with your spouse. You share with each other. Right, right. And that offers that opportunity for communication, doesn't it? It does. It does. Um, unlike a kind of contraception where, you know, one person just has to, to do something uh, to keep a child from being conceived. Natural family planning necessitates real communication between husband and wife. Um, you know, are you hearing each other's hearts? Are you praying together about being open and when that openness uh, should be? Um, is every act physically open to life? Um, are you Are you caring for each other in tenderness during the days where you might be abstaining, um, you know, so that, again, you're not treating uh, the other person as, as someone you're, you only love a few days out of the month. And it just presents, um, I think, a real expression of care, concern, um, and it's an expression of the dignity of the other person and the act, you know, a real honoring of the act, um, and so, you know, for a period of time in a month, a couple of stains, and, and actually uh, being able to read the biological markers uh, to discern fertility have just really improved from the method of uh, what they used to call the rhythm method. Um, natural family planning is very different, and um, the actual pregnancy rate from someone using natural family planning is, is as good as if you were on the pill without any destructive elements in, in your body, et cetera. Um, but I think the goal of responsible parenthood is is not simply reduced to natural family planning. That's one of the tools. Um, but it's really living marital life and enjoying intimacy together and, and receiving children from the Lord. 
I just have to say real quick, chapter five, this is that whole answering the critics, particularly of, I think you articulate church teaching on this and the responses so beautifully. Well, the teaching itself is so beautiful. I mean, how the media paints the church is so ugly, but the reality of God's design for marital love is so beautiful. And I can tell you, you know, I, I affirm what you're saying in terms of really communicating this to children, and and they get it. Children mm-hmm. never say to you, oh, are you having another baby? I mean, children are thrilled when mm-hmm. the news is shared that there is another little one on the way, and they pray so fervently for for the new baby and welcome the child. You know, it's it's um I think it's the most beautiful gift apart from your own love for your spouse. I think siblings are just the most beautiful gift you could give your children. Far more valuable than the college education or car or whatever it is that you would like to physically give them. I just don't think you can give them a greater gift than a sibling. If there's so much in Beloved and blessed. I could, we could talk forever. I just, <laughs> but that's the beauty of the DVD set. I probably have to rush to confession now because I am envious of the women who were able to sit there and to be able to participate. You are so funny, Kimberly. <laughs> There's a lot of humor in family life. <laughs> there is. And it, the thing is, the Proverbs 31 woman, I do know that from some of the women that were there, they are having struggles where they may not necessarily even be in a marriage, that there may be in a point in their lives where, for whatever reason, they find themselves by themselves or raising a family on their own. But many of the the principles on authentic womanhood is still so very valid in what you are uh, bringing forward. Yes. Yeah, I think there's lots of applications. I think there are applications in many ways for women who haven't married yet, um, who are preparing for marriage, and, and those who um, no longer are married through divorce or or death. And um, yeah, I, some of the principles are more challenging to apply because uh, you're approaching parenthood perhaps as a single person um, or you're not yet a parent. But I believe that God has really called women as, as a part of our femininity to be life nurturers. And I think we'll all find our greatest fulfillment in having... Um, good relationships that are that were a part of nurturing. Well, and what's wonderful about the series is that, again, this is something that is something you can study on your own, but if you choose to do it with a, a prayer group or mm-hmm. a gathering of women, it is, again, such great fun in many ways, but also in that sharing of hearts, it can help you through those real poignant times, too. Very much so. And my heart is, uh, my desire is that women would gather, um, especially across generational lines. I would love to see um, women purchase the DVD set and then uh, they could just do this gathering in their home, but to invite women from their parish or from their neighborhood um, and a variety of ages. And, um, you know, in the back of the book, we have outlines that go with the DVD set so it makes it easier to follow. And then we also have questions. Um, So many older women have a lot of lived wisdom to share. But unless a younger woman is open to hearing that, is is open to receiving that, you know, a lot of women don't get an opportunity to share it. And so my hope is that through this whole series, you know, it's going to be possible um, in the context of a small group study for the for the 
women to be able to share the answers to questions and really for the older women to hear the hearts of the young women. What are their struggles? What are their concerns? How can I pray for them? And then to share the lived wisdom that, they, that they've come to. Um, and I, I really believe women could bless each other so much in this kind of ministry. Well, I also think men should read this book, too. <laughs> There's so much more in the book than I could put into the talks <laughs> for them to read it, too. Did you find this one uh, more challenging than the others because there is such an intimate sharing in it? Yes, and also because you always run the risk of, of sounding like you know all the answers. You know, I'll show you how to parent, I'll show you how to be a spouse, and uh, with all my heart, I just want to say to anyone listening, you know, I struggle in ways very similar to anybody else. And, you know, uh, my children don't have all the same problems as someone else's uh, children, but all of my children have struggles and difficulties and problems and questions and concerns and doubts. And, you know, it's if if we can only write about marriage and family life because we've done it perfectly, there would be no books on the shelf. Um, and when I talked to one particular priest, you know, when I was struggling with it, I'm like, Am I going to come off like I'm the perfect person who just does everything? Uh, because that would be phony. Um, he said, no, you know, you've got to share the weaknesses and the strengths. Um, but if you don't share, then you're not passing on what's been a blessing to you. And uh, and that's that's part of, I think, now becoming more of the older woman, you know, sharing lived wisdom and applying church principles in our culture, I think it's really, really important. So, you know, I, I don't want your listeners to get the books and DVDs because I've got all the answers. But if they want to hear, you know, a Catholic woman who is struggling to understand and to apply uh, the timeless principles of the church, then I think they'll get a lot out of it. I think that's perfect. In this particular book, Beloved and Blessed, you are able to bring forward so much of the items that we need to discuss, we need to pray with, and that we can find it within the heart of the church, within the heart of the word. It is, uh, I just think this is a tremendous gift for our time. And I just hope, I hope pastors will pass this on. I hope parents will pass this on to whoever they come in contact with and to be able to help continue to foster that sanctuary. Mm, Thank you, Chris. Thank you so much. Every book continues to challenge me, I'll tell you. I don't know if I'm, I'm excited or I'm going to just, well, I'm not going to be fearful. I'm going to enter into prayer. I'm going to grab it, sit down in the sanctuary, and just allow the Lord to lead through your guidance. I just thank you so much, Kimberly. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. God bless you and all you're doing. And you as well. Say hello to, what's his name again? Is it named Scott, your husband? Scott, yeah. yeah, Scott Hahn. That's right. <laughs> I sure will. Well, just on behalf of so many of us women out there that have benefited from your work, I I can say that Scott Hahn is recognized in helping to build up that understanding of spiritual fatherhood. Kimberly Hahn, you are an extraordinary witness of spiritual motherhood. And we just praise the Blessed Mother for her good daughter here who does uh, such beautiful work for the the domestic church. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. Oh. God bless you and your family, and I hope we talk soon. With Kimberly Hahn, we've gone inside the pages of Beloved and Blessed, Biblical Wisdom for Family Life. To learn more about this book or to obtain a copy, go to servantbooks.com, the website for its publisher, Servant Books, 
or you can find it at any fine Catholic bookstore. To hear and or to download this conversation along with many other spiritual programs, go to discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of discerninghearts.com. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for Inside the Pages, insights from today's most compelling authors. 